The country of Laos is filled with little villages where most people worship spirits they think are in everything, the rocks, the trees, the rivers. In one of these villages, a pastor witnessed the power of God in a dramatic way. Dr. Sid Webb tells the story. One of the pastors was walking along a road one day and a witch was there and literally the witch supernaturally just fell at his feet. I mean, she didn't know what was happening. She was just forced at his feet. So what does a preacher do? He started preaching at her and she accepted Christ. And, you know, so we heard stories like that and they said that there were tremendous stories of miracles and healing that were associated with the revival. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are going to spend some time this week with two of our staff members here at Voice of the Martyrs. They've just returned from Southeast Asia, so we're going to hear about that trip, hear about the Christians that they met on the trip. My guests are Dr. Sid Webb. He is the leader of our Voice Ministries area here at Voice of the Martyrs. More than 35 years of ministry experience that he brings to bear in helping us tell the stories of our persecuted family. This is a, kind of a unique because this was his first trip for VOM. He has lots of ministry experience, but his first time traveling for VOM. So we're going to hear about that. Our other guest is Dr. Jason Peters. He's the Associate Vice President for Connection here at Voice of the Martyrs, and uh, he's my boss. So he's also been on VOM Radio before. Dr. Sid and Dr. Jason, welcome to VOM Radio. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, it's great to be here. What was the purpose of this trip to Southeast Asia? What kind of were your objectives as you went? You know, one of the opportunities that we have is to go meet with these brothers and sisters face-to-face, to literally sit down, to hear their stories, so that we can come back, because we want to be inspirational when we're telling these stories, and to point their faith and courage out so that uh, really churches and Christians in America will be more involved in the Great Commission and more committed in their own commitment to Christ. Dr. Sid, I, I want to hear your insights because you have a great deal of ministry experience, a lot of overseas ministry experience, but this was your first trip for VOM. What was maybe different about traveling into hostile and restricted nations with VOM as opposed to maybe some of the other trips you've mm-hmm. been on before? Yeah, Todd, that's a great question. I've been in hostile and restricted nations before, but uh, going in with VOM is a little different because you're trying to hear the stories of the individuals. And uh, part of that is the translation that takes place. You're hearing somebody translate the story, and you're trying to listen very carefully. You need to know enough about the country and the context of the history, but you're really trying to zero in on the story of the person and make sure you get it right and uh, can appreciate it and then ask them questions to follow up. It's just amazing to actually be face-to-face with the people that have been going through the persecution. There was a case where they told us of someone bringing Bibles across the border into Vietnam, actually across a river, and they put them in a bag under a boat so that they could strap them in and and get them across safely. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, You know, the things they have to do that we take for granted, you know, all the time. For me, the story out of many that stuck out is the story of the family book in Laos. And just picture this. 
you have a passport, right? But let's say you have a passport for your family. That's what they have in Laos. The family has a passport. And that's their official document with the government. And so major events and things are stamped in their passports. And the passport is necessary uh, not only for identification, but to actually have certain things happen for you. So you can go to high school, you can attend all the classes, but if the government wants to crack down on you because you're a Christian, they will tell the principal not to stamp the passport, the family book. And so therefore, from then on, it's hard to get a job. You can't matriculate to college because you have no evidence that you went to high school. And so they can be denied medical care and uh, other situations can happen. And sometimes when there's been a drought in a village, uh, they're not allowed to get fresh water. And what I found was not all persecution is beating somebody or throwing them in jail. There are a lot of subtle ways to persecute someone, and the family book is the one that stuck out to me. That is very interesting. I've not heard about that before. And, and as you say, just tightening the screws and tightening the screws and making it a little more harder, a little harder to get a job, to find a place to live, to get water, those basic things that we mm -hmm. so much take for granted. Give us a little bit of insight. You were talking about Laos. Let's talk about Vietnam. I, I know there is some perception that things are better for the church in Vietnam than they were five or 10 years ago. What kind of is the situation for Christians there? Well, there are both registered and unregistered churches. So I think it's similar to China in the sense that provincially there's, there are different dynamics. I have a, an interesting story about Vietnam, though. We were traveling south into the, the Mekong Delta, south of Saigon, and we we're driving down this little road in the Mekong Delta, and they stop in front of a motorcycle repair shop. And I thought, uh, I thought we were going to go get coffee, but instead we walk into this motorcycle repair shop and we literally walk through an aisle filled with tires and belts and motorcycle helmets. And we walk into a room filled with Christians sitting around a table at a training center. It was an unregistered training center for wow. the Christians in Vietnam. And it was neat as we started to talk with some of these folks. Uh, one of the most interesting stories there was of a, a guy, he was uh, 81 years old now. His name is Mr. Chin, and he said, uh, he told us how he came to Christ. He was too old to read or write, but he was still at the training center. He just loves to come and listen. And he said, what happened was this guy over here, and he points to a pastor in the group named Pastor Ben. He said, Pastor Ben was telling me about Jesus, and he said something very interesting. He said, I knew that Christianity was true because the way was so narrow. I thought that was exactly, mm -hmm. yeah, opposite of what we hear sometimes. But, but this is something else he said. He said, but I watched him closely for guess how long? Two years. He said, I watched him for two years, and I saw that what he was preaching was also being demonstrated in his life. And he said, and I decided to follow Jesus. What, what a lesson for us as American Christians. You know, who's watching us? Who, what neighbor? Maybe somebody, and like you said, he shared the gospel verbally, but that wasn't what did it. It was, oh, he lived it for two years. Absolutely. Brought it home. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, Sid actually had a chance to speak at a church in Hanoi, and maybe you get a chance to, uh, do you want to share some of the difference between the registered and the unregistered mm -hmm. churches? Yeah, sure. And, and by the way, with Mr. Chen, uh, the story there is he could not read. And so if he had no life to watch, no story to hear verbally, then how would he have known? So it's really interesting. That's a great wow. point. So the, the thing about Hanoi for me personally is that I'm an Air Force brat and thought I potentially could be going to Vietnam. I was in the lottery many, many moons ago. And I never, ever would have thought that I would have gone to Hanoi, Vietnam. That was just <laughs> not in the cards. 
So here we are in Hanoi, and we drive to the church on Sunday morning, and I get to actually speak for about five minutes, and it was just amazing. It blew me away. And so this church was a registered church. It's got its own building and a a lot of people from multiple cultures that come out to the church. And it was a great time, and I was telling them I found that they didn't understand my my name, Sid. So I said, Sydney, like Australia, which is actually where the name came from. And so the Australians in the audience were applauding, which is kind of <laughs> cool. So the registered church actually has more freedom than the unregistered. The unregistered had to be very careful. And I think what's happened in Vietnam, for sure, is that the nation has realized that tourism is good business, and they want to open up more with that. The Vietnam of today is not the Vietnam of the war. Uh, you have modern, a lot of modern areas in the cities, and, and you wouldn't really recognize it from the perspective of the, of the war. So the country is opening up in different ways, and especially in the cities. So where I think you see the persecution take place would be in unregistered areas and also in the villages and the, on the border areas in the highlands, places like that. Uh, which is good to think about because these people are in villages where they're surrounded by people who know them really well, and that creates a lot more pressure than for someone that's in a city who can blend into the city. So it's a different environment. And a lot of the persecution stories we were hearing were from the villages and from the border areas. And were primarily some of the minority tribal groups, the Hmong and the Camus and and some of those groups, not necessarily the ethnic Vietnamese. Absolutely. And like any country, Vietnamese people have different cultures and different environments, you know, and those kind of things. So to the point of actually going to a meeting you were not expecting, we actually had a meeting north of Saigon in a town, and we got to the house, and we had to run into the house and everything, and got in there, and there were people from, I think, five or six different language groups, different tribal groups, and we were blown away. And it was one of those late afternoon kind of warm, we need to stay awake things. But man, the stories were just amazing to hear. And we can tell you more about that in a minute. I'm interested to know, what did you share? When, when you had the chance to stand up in front of the church, what message did you bring to them? We didn't tell them where we were from specifically, but we said we actually will go back to America and have a ministry of telling Americans what's going on around the world and telling your stories. And even if you feel like you're obscure in this village and no one will ever hear from you, your faith will actually motivate the spiritual life of Americans, and we're going to tell your story. We would tell that and and say, we're going to pray for you. We're going to ask them to pray for you, and would, by the way, you pray for the United States. And what they thought of the U.S., actually brought me to tears a couple of times, how great they thought we were and how our church was. And I thought, we need to be the kind of church that will rise to the level of where they think we are. Uh, In one of the meetings, we met with a lady who was probably in her 60s at least, and she said, I have never met an American. You're the first American I've ever met. And I thought, isn't it cool that the very first Americans that she's meeting are two brothers from the United States coming with their hands extended in love, sharing the love of Christ, saying, you are our sister. And it was just a beautiful moment to share the love of Christ with her and to realize we're going to be spending eternity together. We might as well start now. I think such a big part of our work here at VOM is building that unity within the body of Christ. When you go and sit down with them, when you come back and share the stories, inviting American Christians into that same sense of unity, that same sense of togetherness, Let's talk a little bit about Laos, because I know the situation for Christians in Laos is, is different than Vietnam. What, what's their situation? Well, I think Laos is similar in the, uh, in the highlands and in the border regions. You have the villages and those kind of environments, and there's a lot of similarity there. Laos, being inland, has not had some of the advantages that Vietnam has, and so I think economically and such, they're further behind. 
and I think you have different dynamics there. But they were both great places, and Laos is waking up to tourism, especially in the, in the mountains, and I feel like that's opening up opportunities for people to come and visit. It's interesting that you, in both countries, you mentioned the pressure at the village level. Yeah. That, that's oftentimes, from the stories that we hear, that's the biggest barrier. There obviously are policies at the national level, but where Christians really face that pressure is in their own village, with mm-hmm. their neighbors and with their friends. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. I met a pastor named Pastor Witt, and as uh, Sid and I were chatting with him, we, we started to ask him, because he was a very well-educated Laotian pastor. He had actually gone to Thailand to study. And interestingly, you know, Sid and I uh, both been to seminary many years, and we're sitting there listening to his story, and he said, you know, when I was in seminary, I didn't really learn about persecution. And Sid and I looked at each other, and we said, you know, that's the same—we could say the same thing. We didn't learn a lot about persecution. So he said, but then when I went to Laos, and the neighbors hated me, and they started to beat and imprison us, he said, then I began to read the Bible with that lens, and I began to look for stories of persecution. And I said, well, why don't you think your seminary prepared you for that? He said, well, because Thailand doesn't really have any persecution. He said, I didn't really need it at that point. I said, well, well, what do you do with your students? Because now he's a teacher of other pastors. And he said, well, I definitely teach them about persecution or forgiveness. And he said, what I like to do is I like to put it in perspective. He says, in fact, this is an exact quote. He said, we teach about Jesus's life and we talked about how he was killed, but he still loved them and he wants to forgive them. So then Pastor Witt goes on. He says, for us, people are not trying to kill us. They just take us to jail and beat us and try to do something to us, but they're not killing us. So I tell my church to just stand strong and to love them, even though they're trying to do something wrong to us, because Jesus is a good example for us to follow. That was a theme we heard over and over. Uh, Why do we persevere? It's because, well, we look at what Jesus did, and if he did that, I mean, the least we could do is to, to try to emulate what Jesus did. Yeah, let me say one other thing about Pastor Witt, which was remarkable. He said, I'm trying to teach them how to love and to build good relationships with the police and with the persecutors. And he had a great strategy. I've never heard this before in the field, but he said, I ask my church members and the pastors I'm teaching to give gifts to their persecutors for Christmas. He says it's a, it's a Christian holiday. They don't, they're not Christians. They don't believe in Christmas. He said, but we celebrate Christmas, and so we will literally get gifts for them during this season to show them our love. And not only that, but it's interesting. I've encountered at least one or two stories where uh, gentlemen were in prison or jail, and they said, don't release me. I want to stay here, because it gave them a chance to share the gospel. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, you have a confined audience. Yep. <laughs> one guy we met was imprisoned 11 times. He said the, the shortest duration was two days, and the longest was two years. But literally 11 different times he'd been taken to jail. And what did he share about those experiences and what he learned and, and what it did for his faith to go through that? You know, this is, this is remarkable, Todd. I mean, I know you've worked in, in dozens of countries around the world, as we all have. And, and it's interesting because here's the theme that keeps coming up again and again and again. They say, I was not alone. Jesus was with me. That's the same thing we heard on this trip. These brothers are saying, I was in prison, I was away from my family, but I wasn't alone. We're talking this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dr. Sid Webb and Dr. Jason Peters. They are two members of our leadership team here at Voice of the Martyrs, and they are just back from Southeast Asia. Uh, Dr. Sid and Dr. Jason, what were the VOM projects that you saw, or how is VOM helping believers like those that you met on this trip? 
Well, I can give you one real practical example of that, and that is uh, when you go over to those areas, you see that motorbikes are critical for them. You see the motorbikes everywhere. In fact, it's just mesmerizing to watch the ballet of the motorbikes in a city as they all merge together and go back and forth. So these guys need to get around, and motorbikes have been provided by VOM. They are an incredible ministry tool. So it's amazing to see that. We went to a village uh, up in the hills in Laos, and they had had a heavy rainstorm that washed out part of the road. And we're driving on the roads, and they're very slippery and muddy, and I'm having difficulty getting up the mountain because my bike has no tread and wants to slide around. And it's like, how do I get this up this mountain? <laughs> and finally, one of the native guys, just, you know, he's got this hot rod motorbike, and he says, let me take it for you. You know, I'm like, oh, great. But um, we realized this is what they have to do every day to transmit the gospel. This is the stuff they have to go through. It's their way of life. Mud is their life. Yeah. But they don't mind. And for those of our listeners who are wondering, wait a minute, you guys buy motorcycles for them? Well, suddenly a, a pastor who could reach one village gets a motorcycle. Now he can reach five villages. He can mm-hmm. minister to five congregations. So it's like you say, it is absolutely a practical tool to equip them to do ministry. Yeah, and let me say, we spent some time, you know, riding around on these motorbikes, and they're not like motorcycles like we think of motorcycles. I think they might have been maybe 100cc <laughs> motorbikes. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I don't know, but anyway, they're pretty slow, but they, they get the job done, and it's better than walking, for sure. Let me tell you a little bit more about that village, because that's a good example of one of the projects we're doing, is training. So what we do is we take these Laotian pastors, we actually take them across the border to Thailand. That's why we were in Thailand. Sid and I both had the chance to teach a little bit in a training seminar on the border. It's too dangerous for these groups to get together inside of Laos, but they cross the border into Thailand, and in the secret location, they do training. And so we had a chance to help train them and equip them. And then the most beautiful part was when we went into Laos, we met a pastor. He said, hey, I was supposed to be at the training, but I stayed here because I wanted to host you guys and show you around my work. And so he went up into this village, and I have this great picture in my mind of these two guys walking up this jungle trail in Laos, and they're going to do ministry. And and you're sitting there thinking, wow, I can't believe at the outer edges of the earth. I mean, these are the front lines of the gospel. These are villages that are animistic. They're, they've syncretized all kinds of religions. They worship everything. In fact, Sid, do you mind sharing the story about the, the witch we heard about? It mm-hmm. was remarkable. Yeah, well, the background of that is that there was a revival in Laos and Vietnam in the late 80s, and we asked them, why did you have a revival? And they were really praying for it and fasting, and they were sacrificing, and the revival was taking place. And so one of the pastors was walking along a road one day, and a witch was there, and literally the witch supernaturally just fell at his feet. I mean, she didn't know what was happening. She was just forced at his feet. So what does a preacher do? He started preaching at her, and she accepted Christ. And, wow. you know, so we heard stories like that, and they said that there were tremendous stories of miracles and healing that were associated with the revival. When you guys are training those pastors, you get to speak at one of those training seminars. How did that feel? I mean, I kind of can sense, like, wait a minute, I want them to train me. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. The best message that we can bring is the message of fellowship with the larger body of Christ. And you you know, you've done this. You and I have taught around the world. We, we say to them, hey, listen, you're not alone. There are brothers and sisters who are suffering just like you are. And it's really encouraging for them because it's easy for all of us in our situations to think that we're the only ones that the enemy is attacking. We're the only ones who are suffering like this. And these guys have real reason to believe that they're the only ones suffering. They're very isolated and they're 
they're taken to prison and they feel alone sometimes. Of course, they experience Jesus's presence. But we shared some stories about people in, I remember sitting on a, in a circle of a house church meeting, sharing stories from Nigeria. I said, hey, you know, your brothers and sisters in Nigeria are kind of suffering. Let me tell you about that. And then I told them about Iraq. And, and you could see their eyes just mm-hmm. light up like, uh, I mean, they get as wide as saucers because they're like, wow, there's, there are other people who are going through the same things we're going through, maybe even in worse situations. And it really provides some good perspective. That's the same thing we do in American churches. We go and we tell the stories of, of our persecuted family. We invite them into that fellowship, into that unity. Mm-hmm. Here's one thing about the training that I saw. We went to a training center in Thailand that works with people that come over the border from Laos. And you had all of these young people in there. There were dozens of young people in there, and they were very serious. They had their Bibles out, and they were obviously very devoted and very determined. And what struck me was they said that the training would go from, like, you know, 8 in the morning to midnight or whatever it was. They were doing it all day long. They didn't want to stop training. And I think about America here because we have pastors tell us, you know, our church, our people will only come out for a conference like for two or three hours, you know, that kind of thing. And so there's just such a difference. And they were so hungry. And they have the word and it's so valuable to them. And yet we have all the Bibles we have on our shelves. You can find them in Walmart and everything. But they're so rare there that they just really treasure them. I find it very humbling for me. I want to ask each of you the question as as we kind of wind up. Was there anything particular, and we've talked about several things over the course of our conversation, but a particular truth or something that God laid on your heart in the course of this trip that that will be kind of the touchstone for you going forward, that, hey, I, I remember that trip to Southeast Asia because God showed me this. Yeah, I, I have a thought, and it's something that's been coming up and sort of percolating in me for some time, but but I'm seeing it demonstrated and validated in many countries, and it's this idea of forgiveness. I mean, for these brothers to really forgive their persecutors, to love their persecutors, when we meet with them, we say, we're praying for you, and then we ask them to pray for us. So as I try to try to think about that, what would they pray for us? One of the things that, that I know that, that we all experience is hurt and opposition. Uh, maybe somebody stabs us in the back or, or doesn't like us at work or whatever it is. And so to be able to say, hey, this enemy is trying to hurt me, but how will I respond? You know, will I trust God to help me forgive like I'm seeing my family members around the world forgive? Because to me, that's, that's incredible. And supernatural. Uh, when you talk about the persecuted taking Christmas gifts to their persecutors, that's supernatural. What about you, Sid? Well, I certainly echo that in terms of uh, forgiveness and love being the the thing that sets Christians apart at a certain level. I think we have to get to that point. I think that's what really makes things things go in the spiritual realm. And And you can deny somebody's argument, but you can't deny that example of forgiveness and love. But other things that I saw as well were were things related to what they went through when they were persecuted. Because we've had some people say they got beaten, but they didn't feel it after the first blow. So I asked the people in Laos and Vietnam, you know, what was your situation? And they said, no, we felt every one. And I thought, well, they are committed to persevere. And what they said was revival was built on their sacrifice, their prayer, their fasting, And so we often talk about revival, but revival does not come without cost to us. It's really on the backs of the Christians who are praying and really taking it seriously. And that's what I saw there. Interesting. As we finish up, one of our constant goals here at Voice of the Martyrs Radio is to equip our listeners to pray. 
So share with us, how can we pray for Vietnam and for Laos and for our brothers and sisters there? Well, I think you can pray by, first of all, knowing these stories more and digging into them more and being up on what's going on, especially in the villages and the border areas. Uh, so that's one thing you can do, be informed. But then pray pray for them, not so much that God would take the persecution away, but that God would carry them through it and really use their testimony And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't add to that. Pray that God would use your testimony. We want testimony without pain, but I'm not sure that's God's economy. And so I think you have to pray to the Lord to say, give me opportunities to share with other cultures and help me to be able to make it through with what's going to happen when I try to, because there's going to be opposition. You know, the scripture that comes to mind was actually a scripture that we shared there was from 1 Thessalonians 3, and it's a story of, of Timothy coming to Paul and telling him a report about what's happening. And it's beautiful because he says that we have, we have memories of the time we were together, but since we've left, we're encouraged by your joy and your faith. Even in our distress, we've seen what God's been doing in your lives. And so I think one of the things that I would pray is that, Lord, help us understand what these brothers and sisters are going through. Help us to empathize with them. And, and you and I have uh, friends that have been in prison and in trouble. And, and, you know, it's a little different when you have that kind of connection and you really think about them a lot. You think about them throughout the day and you say, wow, I'm, I'm feeling empathetically, I'm feeling what they're going through and I'm praying for them in, a, in kind of a powerful way. That's what happens through the newsletter. People read stories and they really get into deep fellowship. And, and that's what I pray for all of us. Dr. Sid, I know you talk a little bit about fellowship and, and even as you're kind of coming into the VOM family and, and learning about what we do, meeting these people on this trip, tell us a little bit about how you see that impacting the American church? Yeah, that's a great question, Todd. As I've come into VOM, I've, I've, I think, brought a fresh perspective, and I've been able to observe some things. And, and one of the things is going to our conferences, I've been watching this progression that happens with our attendees. And it occurred to me one day, it's almost like the stages of grief that people go through, and they have this shock and denial at the beginning. Is this really happening? And then they get angry, and sometimes they'll say, well, these people just need to get guns. I mean, I've heard that before. And so gradually they come to a point of resolution. But as they go through this process, it's really easy to idolize the persecuted and to make heroes of them. Well, on the flip side, I've noticed the same thing with the persecuted. It's very easy for them to idolize the American church. And I don't think we've come to true fellowship until we get past the idolization and we're side by side in a living room. We're talking about what God's doing in our lives and we're both transparent with each other and realizing that all of us, you know, there but for the grace of God go we, we have feet of clay. And that's one thing we saw with the persecuted is they are people just like us, like we are. They've made the commitment, though, that they're not going to give up. And I think that speaks to the unity within the body of Christ that that is our goal. That, that's what we're trying to do here at Voice of the Martyrs is bring about that sense of unity and, and the fact that we are all parts of the same body. A scripture that I shared when I spoke over there was from 1 Corinthians regarding the body and that the members of the body can't look at other members and say, I have no need of you. And it occurred to me on the trip that American Christians need Vietnamese Christians and Laotian Christians, and they need us. And I'm still thinking about what does that mean? But in the body of Christ, we all have a role to play with each other. And that's, that's something to think about. Absolutely. Dr. Sid Webb, Dr. Jason Peters, thank you for being our guest this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio sharing the story of your trip to Southeast Asia. Thank you, Todd. So fun to be with you. 
You've been listening to the Voice of the Martyrs radio. You can find this interview as well as all of our other episodes at vomradio.net. Again, that website is vomradio.net. Jason mentioned the newsletter. If you want to subscribe to that, come to vomradio.net. Click on the link above to get involved and give us your name and address. We will happily send you that free newsletter each month to help you know these stories and know how to pray effectively for our brothers and sisters. When you come to vomradio.net, just click on the newsletter sign up at the top of the page. That's vomradio.net. Next week, we're going to hear how the gospel is being broadcast into some very hard-to-reach places in the Middle East through satellite television, online streaming, and radio, and it's making a difference. You're going to hear more about that next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.